Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast How They Love Mary, a weekly podcast which will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Blessed Mother, I wish to walk this holy week by your side. Help me to see what you saw, think what you thought, pray as you prayed. Let me love Jesus with only an ounce of your immense love for him. And when they place Christ's lifeless body in your arms, may I be there to console you with my words. I wish to remain with you until Easter Sunday, until you hear those words that Christ is risen from the dead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Palm Sunday marked the beginning of our Holy Week celebration, and really I think in our own prayer during this Holy Week, we can truly journey with Mary, to think of how she found Christ in Jerusalem after he was condemned to die, to think of that fourth station in which Mary meets Jesus along the way and how their eyes exchange their glances, expressing their affections for one another to be with Mary as she stood there at the foot of the cross, to be with her as she grieved over the lifeless body of her son, to be with her when she hears that news that Christ is risen from the dead. Hopefully, if we experience this Holy Week with Mary, she will help us to have new insights into the passion of our Lord. This Holy Week... Not only do we have Palm Sunday, but we have Holy Thursday and Good Friday, but Holy Saturday will be the occasion in which many people will enter the Catholic Church. I'm so excited to have a guest on at the second half of our show today who will share with us about her own journey into the Catholic faith and the role that Mary had, or the obstacle perhaps, that Mary presented in that process. It'll be wonderful to be able to speak with Mary Jo a Catholic convert, or as she likes to call herself, a Catholic immigrant. Let us now turn to our trending Marian tweets and topics. The first tweet I'd like to talk about comes from Caitlin. Many people know her as Tea with Tolkien. She tweeted this, Grateful for a blessed mother who sits with us in our sorrow, who teaches me how to mourn. Caitlin suffered the loss of a miscarriage earlier in the week, that led to that tweet. She tweeted it on Friday of the fifth week of Lent, which happens to be the Friday of Sorrows, in which the church in her liturgy actually offers the priest two options for the opening prayer at Mass, one of them saluting Mary under the title Our Lady of Sorrows as she teaches us how to contemplate Christ's Passion. For Caitlin, as she shared this tweet, she really was contemplating the passion of Christ alongside the Blessed Mother, grateful for a mother who sits with us in our sorrow. Mary, as a mother, as the mother of all believers, she sits with us. She mourns with us. Our sadness is her sadness. To her, in this valley of tears, we set up our sighs, our mournings, and our weepings. And so Mary can sit with us and she can teach us how to mourn. Mary is a great teacher of the Christian life, a teacher of the virtues, a teacher of prayer. 
And in a moment of grief, we can turn to Mary and to ask her to mourn with us and to teach us how to mourn. Mary, during this Holy Week, truly does mourn. She undergoes grief, but she holds on to that hope of the resurrection, of life eternal, that her Son Jesus has given to all believers. Let us offer a Hail Mary for Caitlin, for her family, for their consolation. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The second tweet that I'd like to focus on today comes from Stephanie Nicholas. She tweeted this, Reflecting upon the Blessed Virgin Mary helps us to understand the Trinity. She is the daughter of the Father, the mother of the Son, the spouse of the Holy Ghost. Is it any wonder that we see so many errors in regard to the Trinity when so many do not love Our Lady? Our Marian dogmas and doctrines can really help us to know who Jesus is, that as we define something about Mary, it also tells us something about Christ. For example, in 431, when at the Council of Ephesus it was declared that Mary was the mother of God, the Theotokos, well, that tells us that Jesus is God. There was a heresy preceding that council that denied the divinity of Jesus. And so by saying that Mary is the mother of God, it asserts the fact that Jesus is God. What Stephanie tweets here helps us to really understand that Mary's relationship to the Trinity unpacks a lot of teaching about God as Father, Son, and Spirit. Not only that, as we reflect upon Mary's relationship to the Trinity as daughter, mother, and spouse, it can also help us to reflect on our relationship, to know our own identity in the Trinity, to know that we are children of the Father, that we are redeemed by the Son, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, especially through baptism and confirmation. Mary, as the perfect disciple, as the model Christian, really does tell us a lot. She teaches us about Christ, about the Trinity. She teaches us about the spiritual life. Stephanie Nicholas also had another tweet later in the week. I don't have it in front of me, but it was an invitation asking people to talk about and to recommend Marian books to help a reader of hers that was struggling with the Marian dimension of the intellect, of wanting to know more about her and wanting to study more about Mary. There are lots of books that were recommended. I personally recommended Dr. Edward Sree's latest book and Dr. Brant Petrie's book on the Jewish roots of Mary. Lots of wonderful books about the Blessed Mother out there. I encourage you to learn a little bit about Mary by reading one of them. The third Marian Tweeter topic that I'd like to address comes from the National Catholic Register. Writer Kevin DiCamillo recommended that the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary was appropriate for Passiontide. Passiontide, in a traditional sense, begins during the fifth week of Lent and continues through Holy Week. 
the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary is a mirror of the church's liturgy of the hours. Priests and deacons and consecrated religious pray the liturgy of the hours, which have five hours. The office of readings, morning prayer, daytime prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer. The little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary follows that format, having different hours for prayer. It consists of the Psalms and then also a reading from sacred scripture, intercessions, and so forth. It's a beautiful devotion, and many of the saints had a devotion to the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I know that Blessed Solanus Casey often recited the little office of the Virgin Mary. Kevin DiCamillo tells us that it reminds us of humility and that the little office each day helps us to reflect on Mary's role in the economy of salvation. Especially in this Holy Week, we reflect on Christ and his role in salvation history, his death upon the cross. We can reflect upon Mary through this devotion of the little office. Fourthly, I'd like to draw our attention to Cardinal Sara. I saw an article that one of my friends, a phatomologist named Tony Thomas, shared on Facebook. It was about a novena that was being recommended in France. Literally, the title of the novena seeks the intercession of Mary, who strengthens the bishops. Given all the scandal that has happened in the Catholic Church over the past year, and really we could argue for decades now, but really coming to light in the last year, the scandal among the bishops, the scandal in the clergy, and so forth, that now it is being recommended that we ask the intercession of Mary to strengthen the bishops. This is what Cardinal Sara said in his endorsement of the novena. Mary, the mother of the church, mother of believers and shepherds, help us, enlighten us, guide us, and lead us to the heart of Jesus, pierced for our sins. Because she was the first disciple of our Redeemer, the Virgin Mary, the Redemptoris Mater, the Mother of the Redeemer, teaches us in the meditative prayer of the Rosary to listen to Him and trust Him. Despite all obstacles, she teaches us to pray to Jesus, her beloved Son, gradually to enter into His familiarity and to fully love and serve Him humbly. I wholeheartedly bless this initiative in trusting Our Lady Mother of the Church, whom Holy Bishop Charles Borromeo has called as Our Lady of Good Counsel. Mary is the Mother of the Church. She was the Queen of the Apostles. We call her the Queen of the Clergy. As she lived her life after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus in close proximity to the early primitive Church, she had a relationship with the Apostles, the first bishops. And so it is right for us to call upon the intercession of Mary. Let us ask Our Lady to obtain the grace of healing in the Church. And let us also ask her to obtain the grace of sanctifying our clergy. The last Marian topic I'd like to bring up is simply to reflect upon the maternal presence of Mary. I was watching a TV show. I often will watch shows when I'm walking on the treadmill. Maybe some of you watch the show called The Rookie on ABC. It's about this older gentleman, Officer Nolan, who had a midlife crisis. And as a result of that midlife crisis, decided to join the police academy 
and now is serving as a rookie in the L.A. Police Department. In the last episode of The Rookie that I saw, Officer Nolan and his partner were standing in a church. Behind them were two statues of the Blessed Mother. That's the maternal presence of Mary. Maybe the producer of the show, those responsible for the set, when they think of Catholicism, when they think of faith, they think of the Blessed Mother, and so they put the statues of Mary there. But think of all the people that watched that show, that saw the image of Mary, that as they looked at the scene, that Mary, the Mother of God, glances at them, the maternal gaze of Mary. Of course, what happens when Hollywood portrays Catholicism in a movie or in a TV show, they usually get it wrong. We see this a lot, especially when they have a priest. They'll have a priest who is wearing an overlay stole over their chasuble, which really should not be done and in the cases that we see on the television shows does not fit, is not appropriate for the overlay stole. So there are certain things that they always get wrong. Having two statues of Mary side by side in a church probably would not happen either. That defeats the principle of duplication. There shouldn't be this duplication of images in such close proximity to one another. Nevertheless, what a beautiful thing it is to see the mother of God not neglected, but to see her in that television show, to be reminded of her presence in our lives, to know that she is our mother and that she prays for us. I'd also like to offer my thanks to those who responded to a Twitter request of mine. I tweeted out asking people to take a photo of the fourth station of the cross, the fourth station being Jesus meeting his mother along the way to Calvary. I've created a Twitter moment with all of those images and would encourage you to go and to check them out. Maybe they'll be a source of meditation for you during this Holy Week. Now let us take a short break listening to the music of Anna Nuzzo, and afterwards we'll begin our conversation with Mary Jo. like to introduce now our guest, Mary Jo, who I happen to find on Twitter. I simply put out a little request on my Twitter page saying that I was looking for somebody entering the church at the Easter Vigil. And so a few different names were proposed, and she was one of them. And we started messaging each other and realized that it would be great to talk about her Marian devotion, that as she's coming into the church, what was the role of Mary Thousands of people this year will be entering the church. Many will be baptized. Others will be making a profession of faith. They're coming from a different religious tradition. 
And so they'll make that profession of faith, saying, I believe everything that the Catholic Church holds and professes as revealed by God. Welcome to the show, Mary Jo. Thank you so much. As we think about people coming into the church, everybody has their story. They come from a particular background. And I was just wondering if maybe you could share your religious background uh, with all of us. Sure. I guess uh, you could say I was a cradle Protestant. (laughs) Um, I grew up loving Jesus with all my heart. I was baptized. As soon as I was old enough in our tradition, I had to be eight. So I was very impatient, but I waited. (laughs) And uh, my father was a pastor and a Bible college professor. And um, we moved a lot because he, he pastored a number of different congregations. I uh, went on to the mission field and met my husband in Japan, uh, and then uh, we were um, in uh, numerous ministry venues for a couple of decades. He was the senior pastor of a church, um, and we pastored in several Protestant denominations. So it wasn't just one Protestant tradition that you were a part of, but several of them. Wow. Yes, yes. Um, my, My... parents grew up Baptist and Nazarene, um, and then they also uh, got involved in the charismatic movement when I was young, and then when I was an adult, we were involved in a number of different traditions, including um, Assemblies of God, non-denominational churches. I also went to a number of Baptist churches and went to a Lutheran school for a while, um, and the, the church that uh, my husband was senior pastor at was a four-square church. Wow. And what was that like, going from different styles of worship? Because I'm sure each one had their unique characteristics. They do. Um, you end up trying to focus on the things that they have in common and love for Jesus and a sense of mission. Um, my my parents were very strongly uh, focused on a sense of mission, and we— Uh, In fact, when I came home from Japan, they actually moved to Africa and then Indonesia and the Marshall Islands um, because for them it's all about mission. And so um, different cultures, different denominations, we were constantly looking for the common thread um, and doing mission together. So um, I tend to be sensitive to people that uh, are, are uncomfortable with certain expressions and Uh, try to stay within the um, cultural boundaries of the the congregation where I am. But it's amazing when you focus on Jesus um, how much you can get done, even if there's a lot that you don't, you know, have in common. Wow. And why is it then that you're converting to the Catholic Church? So why make this profession of faith and begin to worship as a Catholic, leaving all of those different traditions behind? Uh, such a good question. I think it started um, I, when I was growing up. When I was in college, I actually was in a Bible study with, I was the only non-Catholic person in the Bible study, um, but I was leading the Bible study, and I grew uh, very much to love uh, my Catholic friends and their heart for Christ. And then um, a few years ago, my husband and I, they, the uh, one of the local parishes here, didn't have enough um, table leaders for a Discovering Christ um, uh, outreach, and uh, it was a a new evangelization 
um, outreach, and we ended up being, along with an Anglican couple, <laughs> table leaders, um, you know, not doing anything to go against the Catholic teaching. And I still, to this day, don't know how that ended up happening, but it was another seed that God planted. Um, we just fell in love with uh, people seemed so hungry uh, to know Jesus better. And uh, one of the biggest things that has attracted me to the Catholic Church is that um, the focus is looking at, um, hey, this looks like Jesus, and the, and and you love this too. Let's let's use this as a point of connection to, to draw us closer to God. Whereas even the very word Protestant um, means that you're protesting something, and so and the word denomination means how you're drawing the lines, and so you are identifying yourself based on how how you disagree the same way with as other people <laughs> instead of what unites you. Um, and honestly, my husband and I got to the point where we feel like um, we want to be part of the healing of the body of Christ, and we're not protesting. <laughs> so um, that, that really meant that we had to uh, do some rumbling with a lot of, um, you know, foundational doctrines that we grew up with and reconciling those things with our understanding of scripture um, because it's, it's not a matter of opinion in the Catholic church. And so um, we started in, in June. My husband actually felt like he got a locution um, to specifically go into our local, uh, specific local parish to go in there. And we started dialoguing and we both felt the call very clearly so it started an internal I don't want to say war um, but it was definitely a rumble because we had a lot of things to process and Mary was at the top of my list before we get to Mary uh, what what do you like about the church or what was one aspect of it that really just drew you in I guess mm. I think the communion of saints um, is such a powerful uh, concept to me. I remember uh, I was visiting England once, and it was the first time I ever went into a cathedral, went into Christchurch Cathedral in um, Canterbury. And it was the first time in my life that I felt truly plunged in to the transcendent body of Christ in such a very real way. You know, there were there was a place where someone was martyred, and there were, you know, angels and cherubs weeping around. Um, it's focused on, you know, the martyrs, uh, that, the way that it's built is focused on the martyrs um, in that church. And I was overwhelmed with this sense of belonging, being plugged into not just the body of Christ around the world, because I already had that sense, but the body of Christ throughout the ages, past, present, and future, um, and the whole concept of on earth as it is in heaven, that we are living a reflection of um, what is going on in the heavenlies. That was a concept that I already embraced. Um, there's a scholar by the name of Ladd who, who talks about um, having that kind of kingdom mentality where we are living out the kingdom of God on the earth. So that really resonated with me as well. Those two things, I think, for me... Um, were really, um, it drew me in. 
you talk about the communion of saints and as it is in heaven. And when we think about heaven and the communion of saints, of course, in the Catholic tradition, we put Mary as the as the queen of all the saints. And, and she's a part of that communion of saints. She was a member of that. And God chose to assume her body and soul into heaven. And you already hinted at it a little bit that Mary was a little of a struggle for you. And maybe can you just share some of that with us? Sure. Uh, the, the Protestant kind of mentality is keep anything from looking like it might compete with Jesus. Any concept, any um, any person, any practice. And what ends up happening, although Catholics would not disagree with that, what ends up happening is we don't realize that we have um, different meanings for the same word, uh, like the word prayer. Um the Protestants think that that means talking to God. <laughs> so if you're talking about, you know, praying to the saints or praying with the saints, um, it takes on a different uh, implication. And the, even the term mother of God, I really struggled with that um, because it seemed like you were, the term sounded like you were putting Mary in authority over Jesus, like on par with the heavenly father. And it was just, you know, when you don't have anybody to ask, because I had asked many Catholics, and many of them just didn't have an answer that resonated with me. And um, so I started, when I started studying church history, and I started realizing that, you know, the discussion, which has been established since the very early church about, you know, is God, uh, was Jesus fully God and fully human, or was he half and half, or you know, did one eclipse the other? Um, the, the, the Mary discussion was involved at that early time, and I felt really robbed because I never knew that that when the when it was established that Jesus was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent human, um, it, it you know it comes to reason. <laughs> Jesus comes as who he is, and if he is a hundred percent God and a hundred percent human. The person who birthed him is the mother of God because he comes as who he is. But I just hadn't been able to put it together. Um, Scott Hahn's book, um, Hail Holy Queen, was really helpful to me just to see throughout the biblical story how uh, Mary, the, the, the type of Mary, was all the way through, woven all the way through this, the, the biblical story. So if there's a second Adam, there's a second Eve, and the fruit of her womb was, uh, you know, it, it, redeeming the fruit that, that Eve offered. Mary offers a redeemed fruit when um, the Ark of the Covenant was um, mirrored by Mary, even in where she was when she was carrying Jesus. Um, that was just mind-blowing to me, uh, the fact that... Um, she is the embodiment of the church, just as Jesus is the embodiment of Israel. That just, that was another mind blower. That Because the implication of that is, if she is the embodiment of the church, because she never said no, then she is a foreshadow of everything that God wants for me, for all of us to to have and to be and become if we just say yes and, and live in that yes. And so um, 
I started growing in my appreciation for Mary and her role. And then another um, thing that I started thinking about, I remember who mentioned it, but somebody said, you know, because we always talk about Mary and Joseph, Joseph, uh, Mary's spouse. And someone had mentioned the Holy Spirit as also the spouse of Mary. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. And they said, well, Jesus, I mean, uh, God would not um, father an illegitimate child, would he? And I was, it was another one of those things you just never really thought about before. And I said, my goodness, then she is in a, not only a maternal relationship with Jesus because she said yes and allowed him to be born in her um, and through her, but she had a spousal relationship with the Holy Spirit and saying yes to him to even make that possible. And so I started thinking about all of those things that this is how I'm supposed to live in my yes with God. So my, my love for Mary continued to grow, but still the praying to Mary was tough um, because I had to get past the um, the other one was the redemptrix. What does it mean to be a redemptrix? Does that mean that um, she's the co-savior? Because that's kind of how it sounded to me, um, not being familiar with that term. And then um, someone walked me through it and said, look, it just, re- it just means, what if Mary had said no? <laughs> if, you know, God would not force himself on someone. And she had the ability um, to say no, and she said yes. So through that saying yes, she was able to participate in the redemptive process for the world. And so I had to get past all of those things. I'm still kind of um, – I'm to the point where now I um, – John Paul II is my patron saint, so I'm, I'm, I pray the Luminous Mysteries – I'm on the rosary. I keep the, even before I was praying the rosary, I was keeping it in my purse as a um, prayer to God to help me to, to get it, to not, to not um, stop trying to listen to understand. Um, and uh, I even put in my office um, a sign that said totus to us. <laughs> I still don't understand it all, but life is a prayer and my yes mary didn't have to understand and know how it all fit together to say yes and so this is my journey too and i I find it very hilarious that my name is mary joe anna (laughs) because it's it was almost a prophetic um name i don't think almost it was it was a prophetic statement that my parents made without knowing when I told my parents that, that we were becoming Catholic, my mom told me, as she had said so many times, when I come down to it, even if I don't understand, I know it's all about mission. And if, if the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea, it can't happen without Catholics. And I don't have to understand it. If he's calling you to do this, in the words of Mary, do whatever he tells you. And then a lot coming from my Protestant mother, and they're planning to come for the vigil, um, even though they live on the other side of the United States. So God is doing amazing things. And if you had told me five years ago that I was going to be in a conversation about 
my love and appreciation for Mary, <laughs> I probably would have thought you were kidding. But when we leave room for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do, he will. <laughs> Well, how beautiful. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of that. And maybe just to uh, give a few comments, you know, you talked about the book uh, by Scott Hahn, Hail Holy Queen, and there are lots of great books out there. And maybe some some of the books about Mary and the Protestant tradition might be helpful. I know there's one book called Evangelicals and Mary or something along those lines. I think a guy named Tim Perry might be the editor, and it's a bunch of essays but lots of different books out there that I'm sure that as you enter the tradition that you'll want to check out. And if you struggle with something, maybe they'll be able to help you with that. You talked about Mary as the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And one of the saints of the tradition who really talked about that was St. Maximilian Kolbe. Uh, he was the one who really helped to develop this understanding, this theology of Mary as spouse of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, you mentioned a little bit about the co-redemptrix, which some call for to be the fifth Marian dogma. It's not yet a dogma of the church. It's something that is believed. We don't deny that this happened, but it's not been elevated to dogma as is the, uh, as is the motherhood of God, the immaculate conception, perpetual virginity, or the assumption, those four Marian dogmas. I think our best way to understand co-redemptrix is to realize that Mary is the cooperator in the work of salvation. As you said, she said yeah. yes. And because of that, she cooperated in the work of God, facilitating, mediating the grace to us of salvation and redemption because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So I'd like to move into what I'd like to call building our Marian profile these are just simple questions. Hopefully you can just respond pretty quickly. Uh, maybe something will come to mind. But realizing you're a convert, it's also possible that there might not be an answer yet. And that's okay because as you go along in your faith journey, as you continue to uh, pray, as you study, as you learn, as you do all the things that we do, you're going to maybe be able to answer some of these questions in the future. So uh, here are some of the Marian profile questions. What is your favorite title of Mary? Mm. I think Second Eve. Sure. Because okay. that's where it really starts, yeah. Now, in our Catholic tradition, we have something called sacramentals, like the brown scapular, the miraculous medal, maybe a rosary bracelet, uh, things like that. Are there any sacramentals that you've been drawn to that related to the Blessed Mother? The rosary. Okay. How about your favorite Marian prayer? It might be the rosary. Yeah, I would say the luminous mysteries of the rosary. Yeah, and of course, as you mentioned, John Paul II added the luminous mysteries to the rosary. Uh, they go back a long way. Someone had already recommended them uh, many decades or even centuries ago. Father Donald Callaway knows that uh, much better than I do. Uh, I remember being on Drew Mariani's show, and I was a little embarrassed because I didn't know the backstory of the Luminous Mysteries. But, uh, of course, they tell us about the public life of Jesus, his baptism, the wedding feast, the proclamation of the kingdom, the transfiguration, the institution of the Eucharist. A lot of people, when it comes to the rosary, they struggle with it. Is there anything that has helped you pray the rosary? Any tips that you might have about rosary prayer? I think with something like the rosary for me, it was just do it 
<laughs> and that you will come to understand it as you do it. There's something doing the action. Exactly. I didn't understand. I tend to overthink things and, and analyze deeply. And sometimes it's like, Peter, just get off the boat and walk. You know, um, you might think, but Jesus is right there. And um, so that was the big thing. It was just start trying. Just do it and, and let the Holy Spirit teach you as you go. How about a favorite Marian Bible passage? This is kind of tricky because there are a lot of prophecies someone could talk about from the Old Testament or the words of Mary in the New Testament. Sure. I think think, um, my favorite would be um, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Sure. So that prayer of total surrender for Mary, yeah. of course, uh, what comes to mind is what comes to mind for me in your story is just do whatever he tells you. And so that's a constant yeah. thing that all of us really yeah. should ask, too. Maybe you know this, but Mary has appeared all throughout the world. She's appeared, especially in France, a lot of times, but she's appeared in different places like Fatima and Guadalupe. She appeared here in the United States in my own diocese where I serve at the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help in Champion, Wisconsin, back in 1859. Do you have a favorite Marian apparition? I think probably Lourdes, just because it... um... It, it it is about redemptive healing, and uh, sure. so I, I think that that's probably my favorite one. Have you ever been to a Marian apparition site or shrine or anything like that? Not yet. The closest I would say um, at the John Paul II shrine at um, uh, in DC. Actually, no. I would say probably the closest would be the Basilica, because. The basilica is all, and that was mind-blowing to see all of the different um, cultures in the world and how they understand and present Mary. And um, I think my favorite one, the one that was most powerful to me there, was the one for uh, the African-American slaves. And the conversation that was happening in that room, just in the art, the the um, the African Mary and the African Jesus uh, were facing this um, sculpture mural of from from slavery all the way to freedom uh, on the other side of the wall, and um, Jesus the the infant Jesus was reaching towards that, and it just I noticed that the at the foot of baby Jesus, it was um, worn bright from so many people touching his foot. And I just connected really deeply with that, that that Jesus is reaching out throughout time to the hurting and in the process of, of bringing healing. And Mary is holding him out to the world. And that's what we're supposed to be doing through our yes is where redemption happens. That shrine, the basilica, yeah, I would definitely say it's a Marian shrine because of all the things down there. It's dedicated to Our Lady, of course, under the title Immaculate Conception. And 
a very beautiful place. I could spend days just wandering the crypt oh, of, that, of that building and praying in those areas. And one day maybe I'll do a retreat in D.C. and every day I'll just go there and I'll pray. It's a very profound place. And you see the how Marian devotion has been a part of the Catholic tradition in so many different cultures and history and ways. And uh, it's very impressive, and and thanks so much for sharing about that. Now, how about you mentioned uh, Scott Hahn's book, Hail Holy Queen, so I ask about a Marian book. Would that be your book, or is there any other book on Mary you've read? Um, Hail Holy Queen is the is a good one. The other one was Daughter Zion um, from um, sure. Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict. Um that one's a little chewy for it's not you know it's not popular press but it's so delicious. It's very theological, it's just, yes. It really helps put all the pieces together, you know. Um, so for me, I'm not just learning about Mary; I'm learning how to do theology differently. Um, and so sometimes it's it's helpful to walk through those types of texts just to get an understanding of how we process. And the questions that we ask now versus the way that we did before. Yeah, and in a sense, we could say that Mary was one of the first theologians. You know, I don't know what people would think of me saying that, but I, I say that because she treasured the moments of Jesus's life. She was always reflecting on them in her heart. And so from that, theology has yeah. to be rooted in prayer. And so from her own prayer, the, she would have exuded some sort of theology or belief about God as she continued to meditate and contemplate those mysteries. One last question. Is there a favorite Marian painting of yours? Anything that you've seen in art? You kind of described a little bit at the shrine out there in DC. Mm -hmm. There was actually a painting and I don't know who it's by, um, but it was in the gift shop actually at the Basilica. And I took a photograph of it. Um, so that I could find out, you know, because it was just a print. But it was Mary, and she really looked to be 14, something like that. And she just looked so young, and she was she was crying. And she she was looking down. It was just the two faces, Mary and, and baby Jesus. And she's she's lying next to Jesus, and she's she's weeping. And beautiful. You know, we often see Mary looking like a like this beautiful, um, you know, dignified woman, but she was a kid, and just that vulnerability and dedication and sense of awe that God could, as she said, that God could choose her. You know, um, that resonates. There's a lot of beautiful Catholic art and Marian imagery, uh, lots of images of Jesus and Mary, the Holy Family, all these things, and you'll come to encounter that beauty, I'm sure, in your many years as a Catholic. Yes, my husband's saint is uh, Joseph, so we've got Holy oh, Family beautiful. stuff all over already. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show and discussing a little bit about your own conversion as you enter the church uh, on the Easter Vigil, so welcome home, welcome to the church, and may it always be a life of grace and growing in holiness. Uh, you can follow Mary Jo on social media, on Twitter, where I found her, where I first met her. Her t her handle is Catholic I-M-M-I-G-R-1. And maybe I should ask you about that. Why are you a Catholic immigrant? What's your background in terms of that? <laughs> 
well, you know, I I have a hard time saying convert because I've always loved Christ. I've always loved Jesus. And I think of con- a convert as somebody that's coming out of, you know, complete darkness into light or out of Buddhism or something like that. I see myself more as um, an immigrant and then I'm coming home into um, into a new country, a new culture, new language, um, and I'm home. But, you know, they have a saying that says that uh, sometimes immigrants make the best hmm. patriots, um, and I want to be a patriot. <laughs> what so an interesting take on your handle. So you can follow her at Catholic I-M-M-I-G-R-1 on Twitter. And so a special thank you for joining me today. Also a special thank you to my friend Anna Nuzo for the use of her music and recording the musical intro to our show. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope it has been a deepening or maybe the beginning of your love for Mary. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at my handle, Fr Edward Looney. That's Fr Edward L O O N E Y. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless you.